Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michonne Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. We're your hosts and real-life sisters who geek out on historical drama. We'll talk about films, fictional adaptations, and dramatic series as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. So fill your teacup or mug with your favorite sip as we explore what's fact, what's fiction, and the so what on historical drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michelle Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. In this episode, we talk about season two of Sanditon, the PBS Masterpiece limited series inspired by British author Jane Austen's unfinished novel. From Masterpiece's description, we learn that season two of Sanditon picks up the action nine months after the end of season one, when some hearts were left broken, some were soaring, and the town's future was not so clear. Charlotte Haywood returns to the seaside resort from her family's farm. Despite heartache, she resolves to move her life forward and attracts two new suitors. Charlotte is accompanied by her younger sister, Allison, who is on the hunt for her own love story. Meanwhile, Georgiana Lamb, a wealthy heiress from the West Indies, is on the cusp of turning 21. Georgiana is driven to forge her own identity and independence. Sanditon's grand visionary, Tom Parker, is doing all that he can to rebuild the town after the cliffhanger events of season one. The army arrives to make their new base at Sanditon, bringing new potential romances, friendships, and challenges for the residents. We're talking with Dr. Sharon D. Johnson. Dr. Johnson is a script and story consultant for Masterpiece, the PBS drama series presenting and co-producing British dramas, including Sanditon, for American public television. Sharon is a screenwriter, journalist, depth psychologist, and scholar of television, film, and African-American arts, literature, and culture. She is a published critical and feature story writer and a member of the Writers Guild of America West. Sharon is also a lecturer in the Department of Africana Studies at California State University, Northridge, where she teaches courses on Black images and film, Black popular culture, and African-American literature. Her essay, Conscious Daughters, Psychological Migration, Individuation, and the Declaration of Black Female Identity in Daughters of the Dust, is included in the 2020 anthology, Teaching Daughters of the Dust as a Womanist Film and the Black Arts Aesthetic of filmmaker Julie Dash. Sharon is also editor of the essay collection, Seeing in the Dark, Wisdom Works by Black Women in Depth Psychology, published in 2017. Welcome Sharon to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Sharon, first off, you bring such diverse disciplines and experiences, history, African-American literature and culture, depth psychology, journalism, screenwriting, teaching. 
How does this diverse background shape the work that you're doing with PBS Masterpiece? I think that first and foremost, my experience as a television writer, at one time I did write for television full-time. Um, that's the first, I think the, the foremost skill I bring to the, to the role in my ability to read scripts, give notes, et cetera. Um, and of course, teaching African-American literature and actually graduating from Barnard where Jane Austen was on the syllabus frequently, um, I bring that literary background as well. Um, and I also taught an original class in screen adaptation for two years at Emerson College in Los Angeles. So I also bring that uh, coming together of literature and, and film, which is you know, exactly what Sanditon is. Um, so not only do I bring my cultural and racial um, experience and knowledge, but meld it together with the literature and the film uh, background, it, it's, it's a perfect, uh, perfect um, gig for me, actually, and I really enjoy it. When we spoke with Suzanne Simpson, the executive producer some months ago, she mentioned that uh, PBS Masterpiece and their partners are really um, being very intentional about their goals around representation and diversity and inclusion. Uh, and of course, Michonne and I, one of the things that excites us about Sanditon is that there is that Georgiana Lamb character um, who is a black woman from the West Indies and an heiress of all things. So how does your work help Masterpiece advance its goals with regard to representation and diversity and inclusion? What I've always done in all my work around diversity is try to impress upon whomever that um, diversity has to be widely encompassing and, and wide reaching. And so while the um, overt or obvious uh, diversity is in focusing on black members of the cast, uh, there's also just subtle things, particularly about the slave trade and each continent's experience of it, the United States and England's experience of it, and what the realities of that might be for a young black woman um, who even though she is young, her experience of reality is different than the other characters. And so just helping the production to stay clear on that path um, and to um, keep the character as really, I know it's fiction, but to keep the character as honest as possible without um, sort of kind of skirting the issue as, as most organizations tend to do because they're not practiced in automatically thinking in diverse ways. So yeah. really being that sort of guide in saying, okay, wait, would she do this? Would she really do this? Or, you know, just really keeping everything on track um, as far as the story and the character, keeping it honest yeah. with regard to African-Americans during that period, yeah. 
Is there a specific example you could give us about without giving away any uh, plot, any plot. <laughs> details? Yeah. So some things are seem inconsequential, but they are. So there was a, a scene where um, Mary Parker and Charlotte uh, Haywood are sitting with Georgiana Lamb. Um, they have, everybody knows Sydney's gone, right? <laughs> so they were kind of unpacking his things and he had some affects from Georgiana's mother that Georgiana's mother had left her. And originally the script said, you know, she opens the, the wrapping and there's a beautiful crucifix. I said, well, if her mother, so Georgiana is very conscious. She's involved with the, you know, the uh, Sons of Africa movement abolition. Uh, and her mother um, was an enslaved woman or is because she's alive and she doesn't know it. Um, her mother probably wouldn't give her this European Eurocentric talisman, right? I said her mother would probably give her something more culturally authentic like cowrie shells. And so I just sort of explained the, the purpose of, you know, cowrie shells were, were um, not just jewelry, but they were actually currency, right? Um, and so I said, that would be something meaningful and resonant that I think a mother would leave, an enslaved mother would leave to her daughter, not knowing what is happening to her daughter. She would want her daughter to remain grounded. And so just that slight change that people would think, oh, so what? what who cares what she opens? It keeps it uh, culturally authentic. And it also gives the characters resonance. It, it, the, when she opens it, it, you know, you get a different feeling seeing her open these cowrie shells than if she had opened a crucifix, right? So yeah. and that's, that's such, one, yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful um, how objects really can communicate history, identity, yes, and emotional connections between yes. people. Yeah, yes. that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, so that's just a small thing. And then there were other, you know, particularly regarding her arc, her emotional arc. Um, you know, Charlotte Haywood, they're somewhat around the same age. And Charlotte Haywood's character, as most of Jane Austen's young woman characters are, you know, there's a, they're still naive. They still need to learn the ways of society, but there's a maturity about them because they want to sort of, you know, toss aside whatever, you know, these antiquated societal notions are about what women must do to be respectable and whatever. And I said, you know, uh, in her own way, Georgiana also has to be that. You can't, we can't just play her as, the angry, you know, former enslaved young woman, you know, she should be afforded the same arc as Charlotte. So how can we remember the cultural realities and give her that same um, um, development so that she's not just, let's just stick this black character in here. Let's give right. her a real arc, you know, like as Charlotte Haywood has. So, yeah. Two different examples, yeah. I think your your background in psychology is so important to this, and I just love the way it's blended in with storytelling. It's so, what a cool job. 
I know I do. I enjoy it. Now the psychology that again, through the stories, but also through just the culture of the organization, Um, you know, England has a very different memory of, of, of the slave trade and the tendency when we talk about diversity, one of the things that anyone working on diversity has to um, get comfortable with is being uncomfortable and confronting uncomfortable truths. And so there is a tendency we know in film, there's that white savior trope. So psychologically, we can't cling to that. We have to be able to um, be honest about what would these white European people really think or really say, or what would Georgiana's um, posture be toward her father. Her father was her owner. Her father was her mother's owner. And so would she um, wax lovingly about this man, right? Is that realistic? Or is that some way to save yourself from discomfort about what enslavement really was? And so those sorts of conversations uh, also came into it. And that sort of brings my psychology uh, background in to recognize um, not only what would Georgiana be experiencing psychologically, but how are we doing psychologically in discussing all this? Because we think, oh, it's just entertainment. But, you know, as Carl Jung said, all creative work comes from the psyche. And so all of our own opinions and and experiences around this issue of race and history and enslavement and things are going to come out. And so to just keep people aware of that, of where "Hmm, I think some of your bias is coming out in this particular piece of the script. So, and and expressing that in ways that are, um, um, that generate more creativity and not shutting people down. So that is a, a valuable background. It has come in handy, definitely. Yeah, and it takes it beyond just the diversity and the representation to actual inclusion because you're shaping, you're exercising some agency in yes. that storytelling. And it she's, is- also, it's, she's also sharing the story with people like Alexander Dumas' father. General Alex Dumas, whose father also owned him and his mother, and then brought him over to France. And he actually used his son to buy his passage. I know, didn't know that. That's interesting. Wow. That'll be a future yeah. podcast. <laughs> I <know. laughs> but I, I mean, that's, I think that's the, another part of the beauty of doing this work is the discoveries. We talk about um, where Sanditon leaves off in the book, that is, where Jane Austen, where the writing stops and Georgiana Lamb is introduced. As you're working with Sanditon, is there anything you notice or that has piqued your interest about Jane Austen's biography um, in relation to some of the themes that we see in Sanditon, the TV series? 
and Georgiana Lamb and uh, the other characters' situations. The most intriguing um, historical fact is that Jane Austen's, there's some talk that Jane Austen also did this, but her brother was a frequent, you know, he frequented abolitionist meetings. And so I haven't determined whether it's because he was an active abolitionist himself or what, was it because he was just there interested in what, what was going on? You know, like what are, what are these people talking about? And, um, and then I also read or saw another uh, sort of historical fiction, uh, aficionado uh, on social media mentioned that Jane Austen's father or grandfather had uh, owned slaves in Antigua. And that's where Jane Austen sort of got this, this uh, inspiration to include it in her, in her work. And again, the relation to, to this uh, person's psychology and their art, you know, if that is true, then this is definitely, I see this as Jane Austen's way of trying to come to terms with her personal history in that way. Um, and if not, certainly she was coming to terms with what was happening. Uh, she died in 1817. So, um, and slavery was, as far as England was concerned, slavery became illegal in 1807, I think. So all of these things are happening during her, you know, most creative, sort of years and and it's interesting that she would choose this and and sort of poignantly uh tragic that it was the last thing she was working on before she died um so that that is um it's interesting to sort of create what we think she would want to say you know if the novel ended but the where Georgiana enters, but we're carrying it forward. You know, it's this sort of combination of what would Jane Austen, how would Jane Austen handle this? So in keeping um, the tone uh, of Jane Austen and, you know, combine that with thinking about what was her posture and her sort of opinion on this issue of enslavement and abolition and knowing that her family, uh, particularly her brother was a frequent attendee at abolitionist meetings. Very interesting. I, you know, I, I sort of mentioned that a few times, like, you know, her brother was abolitionist. Like, can we make one of these characters a, a, a um, an unmistakable abolitionist? Certainly the Parkers are, sympathetic and when uh, Georgiana sort of uh, inspires this sugar boycott, we see, you know, when she sort of explains why and goes toe to toe with Lady Denham over the issue, people sort of, okay, let me, let me not do this. Um, didn't think that everybody, you know, people are like, well, you know, my, my uncle's down there, my brother's down there, my, you know, grandfather is down there and owns slaves. So 
I don't think we've touched that truth yet. There's no character yet that is actually an owner of slaves or has relatives that were. So that might be a something down the line that someone discovers about themselves, but um, certainly um, carrying it forward from where Jane Austen left off has been invigorating and challenging in those ways to keep the tone of Jane Austen while figuring out how she would actually handle the issue of abolition, enslavement, et cetera. And how, you know, how much creative license can, can be taken before we start, you know, just working out our own issues in, in the script. So it's been, it's been a, a, a wonderful experience to be involved in that, in that creative way, definitely. Yeah, that unfinished Jane Austen novel is a gift to be able to tell untold stories. Right. Um, we're curious to know, Sharon, because you, you talked about this a little earlier, and I thought, God, it'd be great to be a fly on the wall in those meetings. How are you collaborating with the cast and creative team in shaping the story and shaping Georgiana Lamb's arc? I work directly with Suzanne, um, which is a gift, I think, because thinking back to, again, when I worked full-time writing television, the sort of influence that you're able to have as a you know staff writer or story editor, um, it can be considerable. I mean, I was always the only woman or the only black woman in the room. And so there's a certain um, degree of influence that I know that I had because I was the only, while at the same time, that was also uh, a factor of my disempowerment where you really get the sense, yeah, I'm only here because this show is about black people and you needed a black person in the room, right? Whereas with Sanditon, because I worked directly with Suzanne and because I've seen where my feedback and notes have been taken seriously and incorporated and made it to the screen, um, there's a different sort of gratification in knowing that in some way, my, um, my work, my experience, and whatever wisdom I bring to the, the table all come together and, and are making some material effect. Uh, you know, everyone might not agree with the storyline or might not like it, you know, I don't know, black viewers might say, oh, this is ridiculous, or I don't know, white viewers. I remember I, I worked at KCET, which is a public television station here back in the 90s for a couple of years. And um, I remember getting the letters or the phone calls from viewers who were irate about something. And sometimes they were very racist <laughs> phone calls and, and letters. Um, I would presume that the Sanditon audience is not that, uh, that aggressive, but certainly I think people who are into historical dramas are really into them. 
and they're going to, you know, be critical. They're going to have that critical eye. Oh no, so-and-so wouldn't do that. Oh no, that, you know, that frock she had on is really from the, you know, an earlier period. So, you know, there's going to be those (laughs) sorts of things. Um, But as far as what we're trying to say, particularly with Georgiana's storyline about the realities of race, particularly at that time. Um, I appreciate working directly with Suzanne and having her ear to be able to, you know, offer my, my knowledge in that way. Um, maybe a couple of exchanges with the, uh, one of the head writers, but I'm, and one meeting with the, the uh, WGBH team uh, after all the, ish, all the episodes were in the can, so to speak. Um, and then I did have an exchange with uh, Crystal Clark about hairstyles. Um, you know, we know that black women had to emulate the hairstyles of the, the European women. Um, but there was some thought to, uh, not just that there's this particular scene where she's being painted and she says, she just lets her hair out. She says, I want to show the hair that my mother gave me. Yes. Right. Um, yes. and then I'm not sure later in another scene, I don't want to say what the scene is because I'm not sure if people are, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but. I'm hoping, and this is what Crystal Clark, and I'll let her talk about it more when you talk to her. What she wanted was to um, wear a more African hairstyle and wanted to know what it would have been realistic at that time to wear certain hairstyles like, you know, twists or, or braids micro you know braids mm-hmm. they call them sister locks now or whatever yeah, um yeah. and it just so happened that i had attended um an exhibition at the california african-american museum many years ago about the history of hair from africa to contemporary times and was able to uh give to her some evidence of what hairstyles were like during that period and so she was happy to know that, oh yeah, they were wearing cornrows and things. Even then, it's not like some contemporary um, um, phenomenon, the, you know, these hairstyles. Matter of fact, we're the ones sort of emulating what's been done for, for centuries, right? Um, in many ways. So um, it's, you know, those exchanges and not only was she um, just happy to get the information, but also the producers on the other side of the Atlantic were also you know, happy um, to have that exchange with her. So again, just little, little ways that seem like, oh, so what? You're giving her information about hairstyles. But you know, it all it all adds to the to the authenticity yeah. of the experience. Yeah. And as you know, viewing, you know, viewing it. So it seems as um, Africana women in encounters with Europe and European culture, we can't avoid the hair story. That's right, that's right.
I do want to make a note for our listeners in terms of details. When you mentioned KCET, Sharon, you're talking to us from Los Angeles. Yes. yes. Where KCET is the public media station there. Yes. And WGBH is in Boston. So I just wanted to lay down those little details for our listeners to follow along. Thank you. So Sharon, um, in talking about Sanditon, your work with the script, you're also giving us a sense of the time period in which it's taking place. Um, could you say more about this period called Regency England that's being incorporated in that story? And particularly with regard to um, the realities of Georgiana and the other young women that are in that story? So I mentioned previously, so slavery in England was abolished or the trade uh, in 1807. And so we're, we're dealing with the, um, I don't know if this is the appropriate, the King George that had some mental issues, right? I don't want to say mad. He had George, issues. We're dealing with that, uh, right, yeah. that time period. And, and that's even hinted at in, in the episodes. Um, there was an actual uh, black opera singer who was a former, uh, formerly enslaved in the United States who, you know, uh, achieved her freedom and became this world-renowned opera singer and would often go to England. And so the reality of that, she's turned into a fictional character, but that is a reality. That was a reality um, of that time of Regency England. There was, uh, there was mainly in, in uh, London, um, was very cosmopolitan. So there were many free, Black people um, of all classes, uh, many of them were household help, like Mrs. Wheatley's character. Um, but we'll see in in the Sanderson episodes, you know, there's always a, a party or a gathering somewhere, and we'll see there are musicians who are black. Um, there are merchants who are black. So the real, it, it was a reality that, and, and once, if you were enslaved, once you came to England, you were free. Um, and so that's why people, a lot of people decided to stay. And I think even uh, different time period, maybe by some decades, but for example, Thomas Jefferson's children, Sally Hemings and uh, her brother, I'm forgetting her brother's name, but he was a chef. And so whenever they would go to somewhere in Europe, you know, they'd be free, but then when they come back, they'd be enslaved. So uh, usually Blacks from the Caribbean would go to England and stay because they knew that they would remain free if they stayed and would find work doing whatever. So there are, you know, uh, in the story, there's a, a black pub owner. Uh, there's a, a 
black musicians, there's, um, you see black merchants, and of course, Georgiana, who is a woman of means, or she will come into her means um, when she turns 21. So it was not, it's not a falsehood to include uh, black characters, black people in this story, because at that time, particularly because enslavement, you know, they, uh, England's involvement had ceased, you know, yes, people are going to come, black people are going to come and stay because they are free and they were not free in the United States and other parts of the diaspora for three, four in the United States, you know, six, six decades later that, you know, so it was definitely, um, a place of greater opportunity. Uh, of course, attitudes were still, you know, we show that with Georgiana, the attitudes are still, you know, when people want to get to her, they'll remind her, oh, isn't your mother a slave? I'm sorry. So, um, and, and that's a reality as well. Just yes. because Black people were free doesn't mean that it was, you know, a, utop a utopic experience. So again, trying to keep it authentic. <laughs> True I, to history, but authentic to psychology, right? Yeah, yes. I'd like to talk about the sugar boycott that's happening. I mean, that was real, but um, the irony is with Georgiana being the, um, a strong advocate for it, for obvious reasons, because of the source of the sugar from enslaved Africans in the Americas, but at the same time, that is where the source of her fortune, which keeps her above the fray, where she is now in Sanditon. So um, how did that come into this story? And um, where is that going? And how, how is that playing out for, for all concerned? So the sugar boycott is, is a storyline that kind of shows up here and there. In, in, in earlier drafts, it was something that was definitely more present. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I wish that certain things could be sustained more consistently throughout the episodes. Um, and that's one of the things that was was shifted, got pulled back a little bit. There was a lot more um, in it in each episode, and now we only see it interstitially. Um, but my position on that is, and I used a, a really unflattering example. Let's say someone like if your mother was a victim of Jeffrey Epstein and his uh, trafficking of young women and you had his child, right? And he dies and leaves his child money. Yeah, you, yes, you do that money. Your, your mother was his victim. This is his rest, this is a form of restitution or, you know, we talk about reparations and even Georgiana addresses that. Um, I, I don't want to, again, 
no spoilers here. <laughs> talk about the scene, right? But she does address that. Um, and so my position is I, I don't think she would feel uh, conflicted about that. Other people will attempt to bring that up. And, you know, we see Lady Denham do that. Aren't you benefiting from the very thing you claim to, you know, abhor and you're fighting against? Um, and, and so these, these ways of making her feel not worthy of um, the money. But in any, so Clax action suit and, you know, whatever media provider has to pay out money to its customers because it was overcharging its customers. Um, well, yeah, I'm gonna take the settlement. And yeah, if this is the only way I can get my news, I'm gonna have to keep using the platform, right? Um, so I think the easy thing to say is, well, why would, why would she take it? Why wouldn't she just refuse it? It's like, because it's hers. He owned her, he made money <laughs> from owning her and her mother. And so if he's dying and in his will, he says, you know what? The right thing to do is to give this money. It's like, he made it from her. So yeah, it's her money. <laughs> That's my position. Coming from that sensibility uh, that Africans obviously had and understood their, their worth to the people who owned them, of course, Georgiana's primary position would be, well, yeah, he was my father. I understand what this system was. Yeah, he, he owes me that money. And being young, of course, she's gonna be um, susceptible to people's criticisms and pricking her about that. So she goes through this, you know, period of doubting and why am I, you know, should I take this money? And in other ways also being an heiress had become, you know, more cumbersome that, you know, you've got the people trying to marry her who don't care about her, just trying to get her money. So all of those things that this money um, comes to represent for her. You know, she confronts these things, but in the end, oh, absolutely. That's her money. <laughs> yeah, and she's using it in ways to try to get other people free, which is, that's what Toni Morrison said. When you get free, your job is to free other free somebody people. somebody else. That's yeah. right. So yeah, and, and that was a quality that even in showing her with Charlotte also, you know, even when you're showing their youth and, you know, they're learning, they're coming into their adulthood. So they're going to make mistakes. They're going to, you know, waver, but, you know, Charlotte's wavering is not the same as Georgiana's because they come from two different realities. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a certain degree of, um, uh, not grit, but Georgiana's going to, be more skeptical, scrutinizing, um, 
protective of herself in, in a different way than Charlotte because of her life experience, right? So to keep, to yes, show Georgiana growing and becoming more adult um, and coming to understand in different ways how to carry this, you know, this identity as an heiress and, and this reality of this fortune more than many white people had at the time. Um, but remembering that she has a certain degree of savvy that she had to develop and, and so how to keep that alive in her while giving her this room to be, you know, a foolish person coming into adulthood. So that, that, that was a, those, that, 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 that generated a lot of conversation, a lot of back and forth and a lot of tweaking of dialogues like, no, no, she shouldn't say that because, or if this person says this to her, she must respond in this way, or she would respond in this way because whatever, you know, um, yeah, I, I think the most interesting thing, and again, no spoilers, but so we know that Lady Denim is sort of, uh, Georgiana and Lady Denim are sort of always at odds and going toe to toe. And, you know, Georgiana sort of ruins a party by, you know, talking about the sugar boycott and people put their little, you know, crumpets back on the table. <laughs> but there is a, a, a scene coming up in a future episode where you even see the reality of Lady Denim's um, experience. Mm. Um, even though she's been needling Georgiana about this money and, you know, you're benefiting from the very thing you're, you know, opposing, just a slight, slight tweak that is true to who Lady Denim is. And in her dialogue where she takes a little different position, just, you know, it's mm -hmm. slight, but it, it's, it's key. And it, 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 um, I think it's for people who are really sort of keeping track and paying attention to the, the realities of, of race and society and wealth and women's positions. It's like, yes, Lady Denim, absolutely. That would be her, that would be her position in this instance, even though in these previous instances, she's, giving Georgiana a hard time. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I know I'm speaking vaguely, but it's just watching the, the edits and watching that moment. I said, it's those little things that for me, give it authenticity that I, that I appreciate definitely. So 
Sharon, this brings us to our lightning round. It's four questions we ask all of our podcast guests that are related to okay. the theme of the historical drama with the Boston sisters. Um, so the first question is, if you could travel back in time, where would you take yourself and why? For leisure and education, I would say ancient Egypt, definitely. Um, but I think my first choice would be, I would like to go back to whatever village in Africa my ancestors came from. Um, and not only that, I would like to visit the village that captured them and sold them. Because I think there's a lot of healing work, generational healing work that could go on there. And that's a conversation I, you know, have with people, mainly social media, but you know, um, yeah. this, this, all of these things, you know, we're talking about, you know, reparations and trying to get some sort of legislation passed around that. And it has brought out a lot of discussion among uh, within the black community about who should get them. And, you know, and I'm of the, the mind that um, we were enslaved and brought to many places, not just here. And they're all connected. And we're seeing things like, you know, the Bahamas sort of, uh, dissolving its relationship with England. Uh, I mean, we've just, we're just seeing this uh, slow signs of healing, I think. And yes. I think the, 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 the main thing that has to be healed is relationships between us throughout the diaspora, because there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's, been sort of these conversations filled with animosity between African Americans and Blacks in the Caribbean or African Americans and continental Africans. Um, a lot of the conversation is about how Africans in America could allow whatever to happen to us for so long. And so I think there's some healing and, and it makes us think that we're different or separate. And it's like, no, we're, we're all kind of, we've all been targeted by the same, um, the same process, the same greed, the same capitalism, the same uh, settler colonialism. And that's why I would wanna go back to not only the African village that my ancestors are from, but also the village that captured them and then sold them. Um, because we know that that, that that happened. When they found the, the remains of the Clotilda, or they thought was the Clotilda down in the, um, there was someone, from Nigeria who came to visit 
the remains and he poured libation and he said, you know, I'm here to ask your forgiveness because we, we sold you. You were here because we sold you. And so for me, that's what's coming up. This, this, we have to heal this. And so, yes, I probably before ancient Egypt, I would go to Africa. Yeah, I'm, the more I know history, the more I know that a lot of history needs to be accompanied by healing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We can know it intellectually, but until we heal, mm-hmm. then the intellectual knowledge will just be, you know, massaging our egos, right? Yeah, it's just a textbook. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And not not looking at the relationships that were broken and that need to That's be healed. That's right. Absolutely. So Sharon, if you could be a fictional character in a historical film or series, who would you be? And it doesn't have to be one that already exists in oh, a historical okay. series. It could be one that you make up yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, I would. So it's inspired by, I don't watch Outlander. I've maybe seen three episodes, um, but the lead woman character, because she's a, a physician in her contemporary life, in the past, when she goes to the past, you know, think of her as a, a witch because she can heal and she knows. And so I would be that, I would be one of the witches that knew how to heal. Um, and that just goes back to, again, African knowledge of, of and, and other countries too. I think the, the women with the wisdom were always kind of pushed to the outskirts and called whatever, witches or what have you. Uh, so I would definitely be like the woman in Outlander and be a, a healer. Someone who knew how to you know, work, work herbs and roots and get things done. Yeah. If you could include three items in a time capsule that represents the times you've lived in, what would those three items be? Oh, wow. Um, Gee, how do I encapsulate almost 58 years with three items? Oh my God. I would say from my childhood, the Jackson Five's first album, because that was what the Jackson Five represented for my siblings and I. Um, it was it was life changing to see a black family. Um, so definitely the Jackson Five's first album. Um, and this is not in order. My dissertation. Because even though people say, oh, you just write, you write your dissertation for your committee. No, I wrote my dissertation as a writer and I'm very happy with what I wrote. It, I didn't compromise to, to um, please a committee. I wrote what I wanted to write and um, it, it, it's still generating much of my writing. So I would bring my dissertation. Plus it represents an accomplishment during a, oof, a tough time, a, a long protect, pro, protracted tough time. Um, so it represents a lot. Um, and probably a photograph of my family 
Um, and if not my whole family, because I don't know if we have one of those, definitely photographs of my parents. And finally, do you see historical drama, especially in the case of Sanditon, as a window to the past or a mirror of the present? I see it as both. <clears throat> Certainly it's uh, a window to the past because it's carrying us back to that time to think about what would these characters be experiencing during this time? Um, but so many of the issues are still issues in the present. Um, still having this conversation about women's roles in society, women and money, people having problems with women who have money, women who have money who realize, oh, I don't have to do that now because I have my own money. Um, so ideas about um, marriage and why to get married, uh, ideas about race and how far, how far, asking how far have we really come when we look at these things. I mean, certainly we're still talking about abolition in one form or another, fighting for that, um, fighting for um, reparations, what is owed because of centuries of of free labor that are the foundation, at least we know in the United States that that's how things got built, right? So um, I think even though we can recognize, you know, uh, there's Jane talking about the issues of that, that era, um, we can still, you know, overlap that to current, you know, even even the no spoilers, but there's a a sequence where we confront the fickleness of King George. And we all know leaders like that who right, leaders who are fickle, who don't um, have their constituents best interest at heart who were, you know, off doing their own thing. Um, so many things. I think it is both. I think all art in one way or the other serves that dual purpose in its time specificity. It can nonetheless give us insight and wisdom about our, our, current, our current time. So definitely both. Amen. So thank you, Sharon, for talking with us about Sanditon. Sanditon thank watchers you. and Jane Austen fans will get a lot from this conversation as these stories unfold. So just for our listeners, Sanditon 2 
is a co-production of Red Planet Pictures, Masterpiece, and ITV in association with PBS Distribution. And for our podcast listeners, thank you for joining us today. Be sure to listen to this podcast with Crystal Clark, who portrays Georgiana Lamb in Sanditon. Look for historical drama with the Boston Sisters on Instagram and Facebook, and visit our webpage at nishanbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters for more information and additional resources related to this conversation. Join us again. Like and share the historical drama with the Boston Sisters podcast on your social media. This is Bashan Boston. And this is Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, a podcast about historical films and series dramas. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters. Tell us what historical dramas you're watching. Who knows? We may do a show about it. Sign up for our newsletter, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with the people you know who geek out on historical drama. Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters is brought to you by the Michonne Boston Group. The views and opinions expressed on historical drama with the Boston Sisters are those of the speakers and do not represent the positions or views of the Michonne Boston Group, its clients or affiliates. This is Michonne Boston. And Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening.